From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is not The Daily, and I'm not Michael Barbaro. My name is Peter Forte, and welcome to the inaugural episode of The Thoughtful Rant. This might end up being the only episode of The Thoughtful Rant, but for those that know me well, I have thoughts and I have rants. So figured this would be a good title and avenue for me to combine those things. To give you a sense of what to expect, there will be a lot of content focused on healthcare, as that is the world in which I'm currently employed. But knowing how my mind works, I have no idea where this will go. I'm effectively using this as an avenue to dust off the old mic, fire up the Logic Pro, and launch some half-baked takes into the universe. Today I'll be talking about healthcare, and more specifically some thoughts on the Canadian primary care world. So without further ado, let's jump into episode one of The Thoughtful Rant, entitled Primary Care, Inc., Primary care is an enigma. It is important, loved, strained, understood, a mystery, outdated, and at least in Canada, going through a pretty interesting period. For those that aren't in healthcare, Health Canada defines primary care as the part of our health system that focuses on health promotion, illness and injury prevention, the diagnosis and treatment of illness and injury, basically everything surrounding the type of care and service that you would get from your family doctor. For those in healthcare, it'll come as no shock and it isn't even a hot take when I say there is no real overarching strategy for primary care and and no real coordinated efforts at scale to improve it. Although Health Canada's definition sounds all well and good, primary care is effectively a bunch of clinics and well-meaning practitioners that want to do right by their patients but have limited means to do so, financial or otherwise. And resources for primary care have been historically limited for a couple main reasons. One, primary care just isn't sexy. Building a new hospital? Sexy. Buying a shiny new MRI machine to go into said hospital? Sexy. Going into a probably beige building with old, sterile furniture to chat a couple times per year about your aches, pains, and worries? Not sexy. In that sense, the mantra sex sells doesn't just apply to the media industry, it also applies to government investment into healthcare as well. Which leads to the directly related number two. Investments into primary care take years, if not generations, to realize. Coordinated efforts to promote health, catch disease earlier, or even prevent disease altogether are all critically important to population health. They just don't happen overnight. And investments that take a long time to realize carry little weight when it comes to winning elections. Unfortunately, that's really the main goal of any government. To get elected, and then get re-elected, and then set the stage for your successor to get elected, and so on and so on and so on. The research supporting primary care investment is is robust and well-documented. But it likely isn't something that a sitting administration will be able to realize in their term. And unfortunately, that makes it a hard thing to prioritize and campaign on to the public. With barriers like these, there comes stagnation. And where there is stagnation, there comes opportunity. Enter the private sector. Recent announcements first by Shoppers Drug Mart and more recently by Rexall have shown that if the public system won't step up, the private sector happily will. Although it is early days, it sounds like big box pharma in Canada is going to start 
entering primary care in a more meaningful way. That likely means more family and walk-in clinics, tighter integration with their pharmacies, more wellness programming, better digital experiences, and whatever else they've got up their sleeve. Naturally, as is the response to anything that can be skewed as private healthcare in Canada, these moves are getting their fair share of backlash from a broad set of stakeholders, maybe the loudest of which being the family physician community. It seems there is this grand fear that primary care will slowly become this monster of an industry where corporations rule all, profit trumps everything, and patient care suffers. I can appreciate this sentiment. After all, doctors are trained to be generally skeptical and to rule out the worst-case scenario first, then work backwards. But I personally don't believe these fears are well-founded. And in fact, I think this will ultimately be a great thing for a few reasons. Firstly, I honestly trust shoppers and the physicians they recruit to create a more integrated primary care experience than a hodgepodge of independent clinics that receive little to no government guidance or funding and have minimal capacity for effectively collaborating across the system, scaling innovative ideas past the pilot stage, or building strong digital assets. Secondly, I think it will force traditional primary care to wake up. There's nothing like a threat, whether perceived or actual, to spark change and innovation. Whether or not this was in response to the news from shoppers, I don't know, but I recently saw a family physician in Ontario tweet out the following. Our 10-doc group and family health team is considering a building expansion and trying to imagine the perfect post-COVID and five-year-from-now primary care office. Likely, no waiting room, modular, lots of IT and virtual, satellite offices across town, and Google office-like conversation pods. Ideas? Question mark? I love to see this stuff, as well as the engagement and ideas from other physicians and patient advocates that responded. Hopefully this is a sign that more forward thinking and rallying together of the existing primary care ecosystem will take place. And hopefully the government will provide the right funding and incentives to further enable these transformations. Although I think the shoppers and Rexall moves are cool, my big issue with primary care is that in practice it is still too sickness oriented. And a pharmacy driven move into primary care isn't exactly screaming preventative care and health promotion. If anything, it screams more prescriptions, which is generally part of a reactive care plan, not a proactive one, or meant to manage something that's already happened versus preventing it from happening altogether. In the spirit of corporations entering the stage, what I'm now hoping for is actually a different big Canadian institution to get into the primary care world. Good life fitness. For years, I've been a firm believer that fitness and medicine should be more integrated as the list of health benefits derived from exercise literally grows by the day. Blood pressure, mental health, diabetes, mobility, aging, literally everything. I just saw a recent study that found that exercise is effective at both preventing cancer and improving outcomes post-diagnosis as well. Put simply, exercise is a miracle drug with no side effects. With all that, it would be cool to build up a medical fitness type of ecosystem one that does a better job at getting ahead of the problem instead of just medicating it after the fact. And you may say this type of model isn't necessary because doctors are already prescribing exercise more than ever. But what are they actually prescribing? Research has shown that more than a third of people get counseled on physical activity during their primary care visits, which is great. But a 2013 study on close to 200 North American med schools found that more than 50% of physicians trained that year 
received no formal education in physical activity, more than 50%. So they are all prescribing exercise, awesome, but more than half of them don't know how to properly build a fitness plan that works towards personal and clinical goals alike. And that is where more tangible collaboration with physiologists and or personal trainers becomes a powerful play. It is one thing for your current family doctor to say, yeah, you should exercise more. It is another thing if there is a full-service gym located next to that doctor's office with a team of qualified fitness professionals to actually help you exercise and exercise properly. Then progress and outcomes can become a formal part of your patient chart, all under the medical supervision of your family doctor. Much like how Shoppers is starting to pilot their health clinics in the GTA to test out how they can do primary care better, I'd love to see Good Life try something like this at a few of their locations. Good Life has many of the same qualities as Shoppers that make them a great candidate for this type of effort. They are national, their locations are generally conveniently located, they have a shit ton of money in real estate, and their goal is to give more Canadians the opportunity to live a fit and healthy life. If that's not a primary care mission statement, I don't know what is. Now I know that I'm about to somewhat contradict myself by talking about the money side of this when I previously stated this wasn't a valid fear when talking about this movement. But what people need to also realize is that so many primary care organizations in Canada aren't just clinics, but businesses. Apple Tree Medical Group, Oshawa Clinic Group, Callian Health, these are all effectively chains of clinics where safe and quality care is no doubt number one, but there are business-minded folks that are figuring out how to keep the lights on, innovate, and make money at the same time. So putting on my Good Life Fitness corporate development hat for a second, a move into primary care could be a way for Good Life to potentially diversify their revenues and attract even more Canadians to come under their umbrella, especially given the fact that the whole fitness industry has gotten crushed during COVID. Generally speaking, clinics, like the ones I mentioned earlier, take about 30% of the billables or revenue that the physicians under their roof generate, in exchange for office space, equipment, tech tools, etc. So not to say this would be the percentage or even the business model, but let's run some quick and dirty numbers that I'm sure some people can't wait to nitpick and rip to shreds. Let's say Good Life trialed a clinic model at one location staffed by five physicians that were simultaneously taking on a roster of patients while offering general walk-in services. So roughly the same size and scope of the first announced shopper's clinic that opened in Midtown Toronto. And let's say the average family physician generates $300,000 in annual billable revenue, which is fairly in line with recent data that I've seen. With a 30% overhead fee, that's a $90,000 per physician per year that Good Life could potentially take home. So with five physicians, that is potentially $450,000 in top-line annual revenue at that location. And yes, that's revenue, not profit, but that's only one location. Very quickly, the opportunity turns from millions to tens of millions, and maybe even more if you consider the downstream impact of driving more memberships and personal training sessions as well. Now, this is probably a good time to further reiterate that I don't think profits should drive decisions in primary care. But that doesn't mean new ideas from the private sector are automatically bad for the system. I also don't work for Good Life Fitness, nor do I have any inside info of Good Life's intentions in primary care or otherwise. I'm just a guy who has long wondered why there weren't more gym slash doctor office hybrids, and a guy who has long believed in this type of care model and wanted to formally put it out in the universe. 
So Patch, if you're listening, let's get it poppin'. Anyway, to close this off, although there may be some valid concerns around the corporatization of primary care, as some call it, effective primary care ultimately comes down to relationships and the quality of those relationships. If shoppers, Rexall, Good Life, or whomever else can create an environment that enhances the patient-provider relationship, whether that is through bringing some much-needed scale and urgency to primary care reform, better digital tools for patients and providers alike, or even just an ability to make the overall care experience more modern, simple, and convenient for everyone involved, then all the power to them. And the fact that groups like these have large existing physical footprints and strong digital teams to support virtual initiatives means that they are more well-suited than most to offer the omni-channel experience that we need our primary system to evolve into. I could go on for hours about this, but I named this the thoughtful rant, not just the rant, for a reason. So that's it for me. Hope you enjoyed the inaugural episode of The Thoughtful Rant. If you did, please rate, comment, or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you digest your content. I'm, I'm still getting used to that side of it. And even if you didn't enjoy, I love to chat and debate with people that disagree with me, so feel free to reach out on Twitter or LinkedIn and we can duke it out. But until next time, stay safe out there, folks. <laughs>